you want to start thinking about your workforce uh, in a data-driven manner, you need data about your people. And, and the fundamental data piece is that skills data. And then on the other hand, uh, actually when, when what I hear most HR leaders tell me is that they have no systematic way of obtaining that skills data, obtaining that skills taxonomy. So most approaches today are a combination of asking the employee to self-assess in tools, uh, surveying, Excel files, uh, it's subjective, uh, time-consuming, and frankly, impossible to keep up to date. While you want that on-demand overview, it's impossible to to have an up-to-date overview on the skills. And we as humans were prone to all kinds of biases, uh, recency bias being the most important one. I'm David Green, and this is episode three of series 16 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. You just heard Mikhail Warnu, founder and COO at TechWolf, speaking about how AI and natural language processing is helping to solve a perennial challenge for organizations, namely the process of gathering skills data automatically, continuously, and objectively to understand the skills you have, the skills you need, and the gap in between. Many of the conversations we have on the Digital HR Leaders podcast center on skills. Perhaps this is not a surprise given that according to PwC, 74% of CEOs are concerned about the availability of key skills and worried that this shortage of talent will constrain growth. Also, the World Economic Forum's Future of Jobs 2020 report predicts that by 2025, 50% of all employees will need to be reskilled as 97 million new jobs emerge and 85 million jobs will be displaced by a shift in labor between humans and machines. This pressure translates to HR with Gartner finding that the top priority for HR leaders today is building critical skills and competencies for the organization. And finally, our own research at Insight 222 into the future of workforce planning found that while nearly all companies want to build a skills-based workforce planning process, only a quarter are actively doing so. Throughout this episode, Mikhail and I discuss these topics and others, including the biggest challenges facing organizations in gathering and utilizing skills data. We look at how TechWolf helps customers build a single skills taxonomy in just eight weeks and how this can be used to power technologies that drive employee learning and mobility. And we also look at examples, including from Liberty Global, on how companies are using skills data to solve a myriad of challenges and help the business effectively see around corners. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Mikhail Vornu, founder and CEO at really exciting HR tech company, TechWolf, to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Welcome to the show, Mikhail. Can you provide listeners with a brief introduction to you and TechWolf? Hello, David. I'm uh, Michael, or Mikhail. Uh, I live in, uh, in Ghent, the Silicon Valley of, uh, of Belgium, as some, uh, some might call it, uh, founder and COO at TechWolf. I have a background in computer science, uh, artificial intelligence. In my free time, I'm obsessed with uh, with boxing, apart from solving the skills challenge, uh, of course. Uh, and TechWolf helps enterprises in transformation understand what skills and skill gaps they have in the workforce through AI. So in essence, you should think of it as instant and on-demand skills intelligence that can help organizations navigate all the waves of change from a, from a people perspective. Good to be here. Well, it's great to have you. And it's a topic that I know will resonate with with many of our listeners. We'll, we'll dig into that as, as we go. I'm quite interested, Mikhail, um, uh, in ha- how did you end up making the leap from, from academia? You talked about, obviously, your background in computer science and AI. 
uh, to founding TechWolf. What, what's the story behind the behind it? Yeah, great question. Essentially, it's all about uh, all about impact. Um, when you're in machine learning or when you're doing research, you're looking at the the technology, and at some point, you're looking like or you're thinking about what what problems can this technology actually solve. And once you start looking at the the business world and thinking about all the problems you can solve, especially with natural language processing technology, uh, you you really realize that the biggest impact you can have especially with this this very specific particular skill set is when starting a business and, and when helping organizations solve the challenges and i think the, ch- the skill challenge in of its own it, it's such a big hairy challenge like if we can solve it yeah. we can impact so many organizations but also uh, so many people uh, at the at the same time well, that's great I mean, as i said we're going to dig into that now it's, it's we've been doing quite a lot of research at inside two over the past uh year into this topic in fact it's longer than the past year actually um, so we work with 80 global organizations, as many listeners will know, and we're principally working with the head of people analytics. And we've seen a, a trend where strategic workforce planning is very much coming under the, the, the people analytics function in these organizations. And there was a big challenge that, that we found when, when we were speaking to many of the organizations that around trying to get a more skills-based approach to workforce planning. Um, so in this research that we did last year, um, our results showed that 90% of those organizations expressed a desire to build a, a skills-based workforce planning process, but only a quarter uh, were currently doing so. Um, you know, from your perspective, obviously working in the space for, for the last three years, why is this interest in a skills-based view of the organization surging? Yeah, and I think you could have a thousand uh, answers on, on that question. So let's say from one side, you could look at it and say traditional industrial companies, manufacturing companies, they know what's in their inventory, what equipment they have. So if, you're, if your company consists of knowledge workers and, and provides services, you should just know what's inside the head of your people. Uh, that's one thing. And then if you extend that analogy, uh, if, if uh, an industrial company wants to start doing preventive maintenance uh, on their equipment, they should know what equipment is being serviced right now. So if we want to do preventive maintenance on our knowledge, proactively reskill and upskill our people, we have to know what that knowledge is uh, first. And for me, a skill uh, is just a fundamental building block of knowledge, a fundamental building block of, of uh, 21st century work, uh, if you will. I, I can't really pinpoint one factor. It's more of a combination of, of that, what I just said, and, and multiple transformation drivers uh, impacting the business at the, at the same time. So think about faster innovation cycles and digital disruption, uh, the supply chain shortages we're seeing right now in the car industry, chip industry uh, due to covid Cybersecurity threats, uh, ransomware attacks are really just the beginning uh, of what is going uh, going to happen in, in cybersecurity uh, world. But also things like the need for a carbon footprint reduction, mobility and sustainability issues. They're all catalysts for rapid transformation. And I feel they're, they're all contributing to a, a ever-present skills challenge. Organizations need to upskill and reskill. They need to protect and figure out what their critical skills, uh, critical skills are at, uh, at the same time. Their skills shortages in, in, in STEM. So... To handle those effectively, you need to know your SS states. And to do any preventive maintenance, uh, you know you need to know what you have first. So that's uh, that's my thoughts on that. What do you think? Yeah, well, it's it's interesting. It's almost like a perfect storm at the moment, isn't it? Is you know, right. I mean, obviously, we've been talking about the future of work, which is a bit of a trite statement sometimes. But you know, Davos, uh, the World Economic Forum, and you know, been quite significant talks for the past few years about the fourth industrial revolution. Um, you know, and, and obviously serious concerns from from countries and leading organisations about you know the automation in, on one hand, 
um, automation making certain tasks um, maybe redundant within organizations. But obviously, this new technology creating a whole host of new uh, new responsibilities, new jobs, new tasks as well. Uh, I can't remember the exact data. Uh, might quote it in the introduction to the we'll quote it in the introduction to the podcast. Really, you know, the World Economic Forum estimate that of the jobs that will be displaced by by automations, far more jobs will be created, which again, if you look back in history, is what happens typically in industrial revolution. Uh, and it all seems to point towards skills, doesn't it? And, and you know, organizations moving away from jobs as the currency to, to tasks and skills as a, as, as a currency as you, as you, as you um, almost deconstruct jobs effectively. Uh, so I've heard, you know, we had John Boudreau on, on, on the podcast a couple of years ago, and he was very much uh, talking about that. Um, so and and it's it's challenging, isn't it? Because um, you know uh, a lot of the practitioners that I speak to talk about you know the need to create a, a skills taxonomy, which I know is something that, that you help organisations to do. Um, what would be great actually is if if you could maybe talk about you know firstly what is a skills taxonomy basically, because I think that would be helpful for for some people listening. Why should organisations have it, um, and then maybe if we look maybe at the traditional way of doing things, you know, how are, how are companies currently building skills or typically building uh, skills taxonomies? Mm-hmm. So uh, essentially for me, skill taxonomy is, is just an overview of all the skills you have uh, in your organization. And why I think for, for all the reasons uh, we just said, if you want to start thinking about your workforce uh, in a data-driven manner, you need data about your people. And, and the fundamental data piece is that skills data. And then, on the other hand, uh, actually, when, when, or what I hear most HR leaders tell me is that they have no systematic way of obtaining that skills data, obtaining that skills taxonomy. So most approaches today are a combination of asking the employee to self-assessing tools, uh, surveying, Excel files. Uh, it's subjective, uh, time-consuming, and frankly, impossible to keep up-to-date. While you want that on-demand overview, it's impossible to, to have an up-to-date overview on the skills. And... We as humans were prone to all kinds of biases, uh, recency bias being the most important one. To give an example, a CTO told me that a year after implementing in uh, an employee experience platform and after multiple nudges uh, to employees to complete their profiles, 64% of employees were struggling uh, with self-assessing uh, their skills. So they actually uh, notified the organization, notified leadership, like, we don't like this process. They, they had about 11 skills. Uh, on average, generic skills, project management, communication skills, the, the, the type of stuff everybody uh, puts in. So on one hand, it's crucially important to know what you have in house, but on the other hand, there's no real well, systematic way of obtaining that, that skills data. And where data is held, it is unstandardized in, in different formats, so you can't really, you can't really do anything uh, with it. Uh, so and before the, the rise in AI-based application to tackle this specific problem, uh, it was also the only way to get access to skills data. So, like you said, it's a perfect yeah. storm, but we also need a way to get that data uh, to uh, to master that storm. Using AI and, and and big data and analytical approaches, how can you gather that skills data without asking um, employees? Because, as you said, that's time consuming. It's subjective. It's, it, it quickly gets out of date, and and actually just doesn't work. You know, you just never get the data that you need to to to, to analyze. I mean, how do, how does how does big data and machine learning and artificial intelligence help? Apart from making it feasible to do in a sustainable way, I see three big areas where AI makes the biggest difference. So AI can do more with less. 
it can scale the process and speed it up, and it can interpret uh, and consolidate multiple different data sources. So what do I mean when I say more with less time? An AI algorithm can actually learn that if you, let's say, uh, sold software to a Fortune 500 company, that you can do, obviously, enterprise sales, but that you can present a business case, that you're probably a good storyteller, that you know how to negotiate, that you know stakeholder management. Uh, and a human would only typically self-assess enterprise sales as a sole skill. So a lot of information is, is lost there. So using AI, you can get a richer image. If you, if you compare the 11 skills uh, we get on average by self-assessing, uh, you get 34, 33 uh, on average uh, with AI. And when talking about scaling and speeding up, it doesn't really matter if it's 1,000, 5,000, 50,000, 200,000 employees. AI doesn't really get tired. Uh, so it, it, it's just the same thing. And for all of our customers, essentially, uh, we've been able to give the, them that uh, an initial snapshot in, in under eight weeks. So you cannot expect that to get that with a survey. And, and lastly, you just interpret or you have the ability to interpret multiple different implicit data sources, uh, skill data sources. So that's external labor market data. That's your learning history, that's your career history, personal development plans, uh, ambitions. But as I said, you don't need all of that. You can just start with, let's say, someone's current job title and already have quite some information on, on what somebody, uh, what somebody's skill set is. So in, in, in short, it just gives you access to skill data uh, without surveying people by uh, looking at implicit data and translating that to skills. And as you just said, you can do it in eight weeks, which is pretty amazing when you consider how long it takes to do it manually. Yeah, exactly. And then the 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 skill doesn't really matter. So um, people always think that they don't have enough skill data. But uh, when you when you start looking at, at skills as a, as a data problem, you start thinking about, okay, what's the data point we have for everybody? And what's the data point that's a relatively good uh, proxy for someone's skill set? That's their current job title. Uh, so one of the things we do is we specialize in translating people's current job title to uh, to skills. But the problem we see is that organizations have 2,000 job titles for 4,000 people, and they think, oh, we need to start consolidating uh, before we can even start using AI. It's not true. You can actually look at those job titles, and by using labor market data, we can already translate every job title in the organization to an associate skill set. So even if you have just one job title, you already have a, a great proxy for someone's skill set, and you can start using that. And, um, I mean, it's interesting. I mean. A couple of questions on that. So firstly, how do you validate that data? And, and uh, actually, we had Diane Gerson, who's the former um, CHRO at IBM on the podcast a year ago. And she said something was really striking. She said that they inferred skills using similar technology so to, to how you described of 360,000 IBM. I think it was 360,000. I might have got it 350,000. And when they went out to ask uh, employees themselves whether they captured the information correctly, I think 80% of those said that they captured it 100% correctly, which sounds quite amazing. Is that a similar sort of thing to you do in terms of how do you validate um, the data that you're collecting and inferring? Yeah, exactly. So one of the, the big, big things we, we saw when looking at this skills problem is that we didn't want to build another front-end application. So what we do is we push skill data back to the systems uh, that employees actually use. So if your talent mar marketplace needs skills data to operate, well, then just push that skills data uh, to, to the talent marketplace. And then you can look at the, the, the data in the talent marketplace and see how employees are validating. You can e A-B test uh, the, the, the adoption of your talent marketplace with and without uh, inferred skills data. So yeah, we're, we're seeing similar things. Uh, and I think Josh Burson uh, said as well, the cat is out of the bag. It's really possible to infer someone's skills. 
with AI, even with, uh, with limited data. When we come back in just a moment, more of the conversation between Mikhail and I, where we will continue to discuss the importance of skills data. This series of the Digital HR Leaders podcast is sponsored by TechWolf. TechWolf uses AI to identify skills. Why? Because companies who know their workforce's skills data are better equipped to face change. The best insight in skills wins. But how? Getting skills data used to be a long administrative process. Not anymore. Thanks to TechWolf's breakthrough use of AI and natural language processing in particular, skills can now automatically be extracted from HR and non-HR data sources like HRIS, learning platforms, or project management tools. With TechWolf's connected skills API, you can get a fully automated and continuous overview of your people's evolving skills in less than eight weeks. To learn more, visit techwolf.ai. That's techwolf.ai. Welcome back to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast with Mikhail Wonu from TechWolf. Now, back to the conversation. Because one of the other challenges I hear from uh, practitioners is we've effectively got several skills taxonomies and all the different technologies we use, but they don't necessarily talk to each other. And, and a problem you're solving is you're helping integrate all that stuff, that data together, so that they, you enrich each of those systems with 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 up to date and, and valid skills data. Is, is that am I correct in my understanding around that? Yes, exactly. Uh, because a lot of tools have their own ways uh, to, to talk about skills. Well, people have their own way uh, to talk about skills. Uh, if you if you ask people to describe their own skill set, you'll get a thousand different formats. So that's where natural language processing technology uh, comes in. Uh, understanding that language, uh, whatever language it may be, and translating it uh, to skills. And, and then it doesn't really matter if you use taxonomy A, B, or C. Uh, you can just consolidate all the information. And also, you, you, it's also important to to not get carried away with what the skill taxonomy is. Essentially, a skill taxonomy is a is a is a tool to to catalog your skills. And it's also important that you know what you're actually going to, which business problem you're actually going to solve uh, with that uh, with that skills data. So uh, most organizations are already getting carried away with with, with what skills taxonomy uh, they they should use. But I I really see that organizations that use a pragmatic approach towards that skills taxonomy and, and focus on the business problem they want to solve uh, will just provide value more quickly. Yeah, so effectively, if you've got business challenges related to skills, workforce planning, um, you know, helping organizations see around corners, and obviously the work that, that you do helps answer those questions. But as you said, lead with the business question uh, not with the data. The first rule of people analytics, I think, is uh, okay. I've heard it described. Um, so when we when we last spoke, um, you described um, uh, something you know, which I think is a nice little quote. I think skills is a data problem, not a tooling problem. Um, you've talked a little bit about that, Robbie. Can you expand a little bit more on that specific uh, on that specific quote? Yeah, exactly. And we we essentially gave gave part of the, of the answer uh, already uh, talking. Um, Every HR leader I talk to uh, regarding the skills topic tells me the same. We, we simply don't know the skills of our people. So even with the, the Lamborghini or the, the Rolls Royce of the HR tech landscape, uh, even with the best tools, they don't manage to get a continuous overview of their skills. So the, the solution cannot be putting another tool in front of people. It, it cannot be just asking people for skills data. We, we've tried that. It doesn't work. 
It's about leveraging data, data that's that's already uh, present. And when looking at skills as a data problem, really many interesting things pop up when thinking about the about the solution. You realize that there's plenty of implicit skills data lying around, and you just need to talk to those systems uh, and grab the data and translate it to explicit skill data. You also realize that it's not just the, the HR systems, but your general digital footprint. That people don't work in workday or degree eating bloat. It's also not the place where they're going to create the bulk of their skills data. So you also need to look in the systems where people actually spend their day. So that's what we do. We're approaching it as a data problem. We specialize really in creating AI, natural language processing, that can translate all those different data sources and translate that to skills. So we've built technology that solves for just that particular use case. And sometimes it baffles people. Like, why, why would you do that? Why would you just focus on getting to know the skills of people? And it's because we believe that skills data will be an instrumental piece in, in creating smarter talent technologies, a competitive advantage, but also more engaged uh, employees. So... Even just this year, there's two types of platforms uh, already that, that really need skills data. Uh, the learning experience platforms and the talent marketplaces. Well, in the future, that will probably be project tools. And, and the, the number of tools that will rely on skills data or data on what you can do to perform properly will only increase. So skills data is, is going to be the key to unlock well, more engaged employees, but just in general, a better employee journey, a better employee experience it's, it's it's already beneficial in the empl entire employee journey so employees expect that organizations assist them in their development and and their career development uh, and so on and that's what skill data uh, enables yeah it's, it's really powerful isn't it i mean you you you, you were very humble about what what it helps to do with the, the stuff that you do at tech wall but you know a lot of these hr tech systems can be quite expensive and effectively by providing the skills data you provide the fuel to these systems to, to help um, organizations get a better return on their investment, I think, in these technologies. Um, and I think the other thing that's really interesting around the skills data, uh, and certainly something that, that we're seeing um, talking to customers at Insight 222, is it's almost the link between what have traditionally been quite siloed, um, you know, talent operations, such as learning. You talked about learning experience, such as talent marketplace, internal mobility, you know, giving people the opportunity to, to to maybe do projects using the skills that they've got you know as part, as part of their as part of their work within companies and then obviously that linked to workforce planning as well and helping um an organization i'm going to borrow from jimmy zhang um who, who said on the podcast a few, few a few months ago you know helping the organization see around corners in terms of um you know helping them really make sure that they've, they've got effective resource planning for now and the, and, and, and the years to come um so really, really powerful. I mean, it'd be great to hear. And again, Nicole, do you got any examples that you can share? And again, I appreciate if you're not allowed to actually name the company, but it'd be good to hear some some company examples. Yes, definitely. Because a lot of organizations, they intuitively feel that there's value in skills data, uh, but they don't necessarily know where the biggest area of impact could be they don't really know where to start so we're working with a branch of liberty global and we're all about using skills data for strategic insights and improve, improving the employee experience and those are really the two, two big use cases so when talking about strategic insights i'm really talking about questions like what's the delta order strategy from a people perspective so let's say a strategic growth area is b2b it services how is that being reflected in the in the people we hire today how is that being reflected in our current population our agile and digital skills propagating uh, through the population. Because it's not just that snapshot you want, you want evolution 
over time. A CTRO should be able to report like our key critical skills or pre key digital capabilities have increased 7% uh, year over year or quarter over quarter. Um, it's about under answering questions like are our key digital skills in-house or just being borrowed by looking at skills of your contingent workforce. So organizations don't have a lot of information on the contingent workforce, but by looking at the digital footprint, you can even map the skills of, of your contingent workforce and start thinking about, okay, are we just borrowing our digital skills or are we actually becoming a digital company? It's about which skills are entering and, and leaving the company. And they're using all that strategic information uh, to shape company-wide reskilling program. And there's this called switch, uh, learning and development investments uh, and, and recruitment decisions. Um, another example is an organization that wants to identify which skills drive top performance and that wants to align uh, personal learning initiatives with the, the overall business strategy. So um, current learning infrastructure is great at making people learn. But aligning that learning with the, the company strategy is still a struggle. So one of the, the end goals of the CTRO is being to is be, or is being able to to measure the, the ROI of learning and development initiatives in real time. Because again, that's how you make a business case for learning initiatives. Uh, and another example we see returning quite often uh, is the the and it's related. Uh, the business laid out a digital strategy, and the question is, okay, how do we align? that business strategy with our enterprise capability strategy, with our strategic capability uh, building, or just strategic workforce planning in, in general. Essentially, the questions we discussed, that's what strategic workforce planning is all about. If you're setting up a new business unit in the next few years, which people can be redeployed, reskilled, upskilled. Uh, we've seen example in, in, or examples in offshore wind, expanding into new therapy areas and life sciences, uh, setting up data and machine learning centers of excellence. So it's... Uh, Quite the, quite the endless list. And then throughout the employee experience, it's what we uh, touched upon briefly uh, just a few minutes ago. It's about enabling second careers, internal mobility, upskilling, reskilling, but focused on the employee. What we see is that skills, and it's what you said, it, it's the bridge between talent management, uh, learning projects. From an HR perspective, those might be traditionally siloed, but it's, it's all part of the work of an employee. So it, it really touches the employee in, in multiple facets of their uh, working life. Yeah, really powerful. And I guess, you know, if, if you're working with an organization, say, that wants to create a new business unit, wants to understand the skills that they've currently got within the organization to actually to achieve that, your technology can help them understand skills you've got, maybe the gap uh, between where they get to, how they can potentially close that, or give, give information to help them understand how they can potentially close that gap, either through learning, because I guess there's a whole piece around skills adjacency as well. Um, uh, potentially by looking at labour market information, help them understand where they may want to go out and buy those skills, um, working with that sort of technology as well, where they might want to buy those skills from a location perspective as well. Um, and then I guess what the great thing is, as you take those interventions and, and try and close that skills gap six months, 12 months down the line, you can actually give them a, a kind of snapshot of how they're doing about that. Are they actually closing that gap? And, and what are the, what have been the most effective ways of doing that as well, that where you maybe want to double down on, on, on your investment area? So, yeah, really, really powerful, really powerful stuff. Um, so I'm gonna, I think we're going to move the conversation in a little minute to, to, to looking at tech war and, and in terms of how you're growing the organisation and, and everything else, I think it's a fascinating topic as well. But just to sort of close the topic uh, conversation around skills for now, you know, if you were to, you know, someone was to come to you and say, uh, Mikhail, what, what should we do first? What are some of the steps that we should do first? Um, you know, we, we want to 
as you said, the typical problem, um, we don't know our skills. You know, what would you, if you had to give maybe five or six, maybe less, maybe more, uh, tips of, of uh, to, to that practitioner, what, what would it be? The way we see customers start with it is start with a strategic business question. And I, I mentioned a few, uh, like, uh, let's take the offshore wind example. Uh, we map yeah. skills for the organization. Okay, let's start with a strategic business challenge we want to answer. That creates buy-in. Uh, and then apart, for, or apart from solving that business challenge, it's about uh, propagating information through the managers uh, and to the employees. So the tips uh, I'd... Uh, I'd give are actually very similar to um, what, what the tips you'd give to to any practitioner. Start start with the with the business problem. Use that to create buy-in and think about the well the strategic, the tactical, and the operational facets of, of skills data. Um, and if you if you want to create business buy-in, well, you you have to start simply by by solving that business problem. Um, I I had this one CTO tell me like. We really don't even want to bother the business. Uh, we want to show them value first before we 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 start asking things because we've asked them things in the past didn't go well. Uh, so we want to provide value first and then use their buy-in to to do more things. So well, no, I think as you said, that important thing. I know we've said it said it already. You know, start with the business question. You know, and I think um, we see so many companies and and practitioners don't not doing that, getting getting lost and excited by the data. Um, you know, and they're not connecting it to something that actually the business cares about or is important. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's that's, that's really good advice. So, so let's move on, and we'll we'll certainly come back to skills at the end. I think what I think it's really interesting um, talking to um, founders such as you. You know, have started, you know, as a tech, HR tech company, but it's not in a traditional area. It's not like you're creating survey technology or. Um, you know, a, a technology that aggregates data um, and visualizes it, although you probably do that as well. But in in this area of skills, which is a new and burgeoning area, can you tell us a little bit about the experience of, of founding TechWolf and what it's been like working in the rapidly evolving HR tech field? I mean, it's there's so much investment going on at the moment. It must be an exciting place to work. It's it's ex- extremely exciting because it's equally a perfect storm here. So there's a lot of M&A activity happening. There's a lot of advancements uh, in the space happening. We have COVID that has accelerated uh, the the attention to, to HR in some sense. And just going from academia to entrepreneurship is, is equally challenging as it is rewarding. So you have very few skill adjacencies. So you continuously need to upskill yourself. And it's a continuous process uh, of learning. You really learn as the company grows. So we grew from six to 25 people over the past two years and we also plan on continuing that growth but the things you do at, at well, let's say when you're a company of six people is completely different when you're 12 and completely different when you're 25. Uh, I had this one uh, lady tell me who was really in, in the VC and investment space like as a founder if you look back uh, at what you were doing six months ago and you're still doing the same then you're doing something wrong and that's really what the learning curve is uh, is all about and uh, just founding this company. It's just an extremely exciting uh, experience to be at the forefront of all the advancements in, in artificial intelligence as well and being able to apply them in HR. So natural language processing, the subfield of AI that we're most active in, is actually one of the most rapidly advancing fields in AI. It used to be that computer vision was driving the state of the art. So computer vision is looking at images, understanding what's in there, and, and, and trying to reason up from there. And now it's natural language processing. So all the advancements in AI as, as a whole field are really being driven by advancement in, in sentiment analysis, text summarization, uh, translation algorithms, uh, chatbots and voice recognition. So that's that's 
incredibly fun. And then thirdly, it's just really nice to work with the the what we call difference makers in the organization. The, the individuals that, that move the needle in an organization that have a strong, compelling vision, not where HR should be in six months, but where it should be in five years and what they, they want their HR function to look like. Like the, the, the organizations that worked with us in the beginning, two years ago, they knew the product wasn't perfect, but they, they were perfectly convinced that the journey that we were going to take them on was going to help them. Uh, get uh, get there. So in some sense, those are true entrepreneurs as well. It's people that use innovation to drive change. And, and out of all things, I think that has been the most rewarding. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. If you're looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the MyHR Future Academy. It's a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you'll see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gaps, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. Now let's go back to the conversation with Mikhail where we'll discuss more about what business challenges companies are using skills data to solve. It's interesting you talk about NLP, and I know you you, you wrote an article um, or co-wrote an article for uh, the MyHR Future Blog last year with Adam McKinnon, and I'm not sure I'm going to get the exact quote right, but I've heard Adam talk about um, finance might be the home of numbers, but HR is the home of text. And if we think about what you just said about natural language processing, one of the... Um, one of the things I hear a lot from organizations that maybe um, are struggling to get to really have impact with people analytics is they say, we haven't got the data. Well, actually, they, in many cases, particularly think about skills, the whole use case problem you, you, you're solving at TechWolf, they do have the data. They just haven't necessarily had the means to activate that data before. And, and this, the advancement in natural language processing is helping that to happen. And when we think outside the skills piece, we think about employee feedback, we think about surveys, you know, very much now, a lot of the deeper analysis that's been doing is on employee comments rather than the traditional sort of scaled questions. So it really is an exciting place to work. I mean, I'd love to get your thoughts on on where you think it's going to go next. You know, what are some of the advancements that we can expect to see around natural language processing from a people data perspective, perhaps in in the coming years? Mm -hmm. Well, I think. Uh, serving is, is one really interesting area uh, when you combine it with natural language processing. Just understanding what people are saying, truly understanding what people are saying. Like, let's say you have an organization of 10,000 people. It's impossible to sift through everything people wrote, but every individual is contributing useful information on, on what the, the health of the organization is. Let's say you can cluster and summarize that information and you get the key, you can get the key insights uh, out of that, the key action points. I think it's not something that's going to happen in a year, uh, but in the future, those are things that will be made possible uh, by AI. And then uh, you, you can well, really start to freewheel here if you think about let's, what, what would an algorithm that could summarize text do, or what could a, a perfect translation algorithm do, or what could a chatbot and voice recognition do if, if applied correctly. It's all already being used, especially on the customer end, uh, but yeah. the applications in, in HR and, and just uh, internally will be uh, as powerful. And I suppose that's, you know, if we think that whole sort of uh, sophistication around using data and from a customer perspective you know we're a little bit behind from an employee perspective in hr 
you know, if we look at some of the things that are happening in, in the CX world, then we can probably think about how we can apply those in, in, in the field of people data as well. So it's a really interesting. So a lot of, lot of research going on. And obviously, as someone like you that's come from that academic um, background as well, as you said, now stepping into entrepreneurship and, 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 and you know, growing a, a, a burgeoning HR technology company. What do you think, you know, what is, how, important, how important is it to balance, you know, servicing customers? But also helping advance the field in terms of research as well. Yeah, in, in our company we invest a whole lot in research and development, and we have a se- separate customer solutions department. So the research, research, uh, and development uh, department, uh, if I can call it a department uh, already, is just looking at applying new techniques, but also figuring out new techniques to solve fundamental problems in natural language processing. We, we, we really publish papers. We really want to advance the fields. We've published papers on uh, low research language modeling, on, on automatically enriching uh, job uh, ontologies like ESCO. Uh, we've done some, some work uh, for them. So it's about making sure that you keep pushing the state of the art forward. That will also give us our competitive advantage. Uh, and then making sure that, that the, the input from the customer solutions team is, is also being taken into account when solving this problem. So I think it's a beautiful synergy between um, actually hearing what uh, sales is saying, what marketing is saying, what customer solutions uh, is saying, uh, going back to the R&D table and seeing how we can like balance the two. It's a continuous balancing act, but in balancing the two, you also create uh, the most value because you're essentially uh, ping-ponging ideas. Like Metridly said, innovation happens when ideas have sex, and that's really what, what happens uh, here. You have ideas from uh, the, the non-technical side, you have ideas from the, from the deeply technical side, uh, and then being in the middle of that, that's really where the magic happens. I suppose, and as you said, it's so important to keep up one eye on what's happening from from a research and development perspective because the field's moving so fast. If you don't do that, then you risk standing still. As you said, it, it very much linked towards your competitive advantage. So it benefits the field as a whole, but it you know it also benefits customers as well. So as you said, it's a great combination, I guess, of of, of doing that. Okay, so so finally, uh, Mikhail, this is the question that we're asking everyone on this series, and and I appreciate that you've um talk to this throughout our conversation so you might just want to summarize a, a little bit here how can hr help the business identify the critical skills for the future mm-hmm. well, for me that's exactly what a strategic hr function means and what what skill skill intelligence is all about and of course and that starts with understanding what you have in house today uh, but just embracing a data evidence-based decision making and embracing that AI technology will just fundamentally change HR's job, make it more strategic. Um, is is how well the the, the or how HR can really help uh, the business identify critical skills for for the future. The answer won't come from doing the same thing uh, we did twenty years ago. It's it's really rethinking uh, the the job of HR. Like marketing became a a strategic function by embracing data. Um, it's not a one-on-one relation uh, with HR because there's there's a people component, uh, obviously. Uh, but really um, embracing data like marketing did and really uh, getting that strategic seat at the table uh, will only come if they help the business uh, identify these critical skills. Uh, but on the other hand, that, that will be done by embracing data. So uh, it's it's yeah, a combination of, of those things. So exciting time for HR, but also a challenging time, I guess, because we've talked to the whole conversation has been about skills and HR needs to to, to 
you know, improve its capability in certain skills area. I mean, as someone who's come from outside HR, um, what advice would would you give to HR professionals on on how they can learn some of these skills? Or, you know, what resources would would you suggest that they look at? My HR Future Academy, of course. Well, <laughs> uh, well that's that's one of the. <laughs> no, um, it's always good to to look outside of your bubble. Um, that that holds for um for us. Uh, our tech team talks to uh, people outside their bubble, outside of uh, the tech world. I do continuously uh, and i i think that's also crucially important uh, for hr to do like talk to people in marketing and sales how uh, even in technology uh, and try to think what that mean uh, or will mean uh, for your job it gives you ideas uh, but really embracing technology and, and having this this technological awareness i think elon musk once said once said that the, the top, topological map of te- technological awareness was very flat and had some peaks. And what, what he meant by that was that essentially there's very few people that have a very good understanding of what technology will enable. And there's a lot of people that don't have a clue. Uh, and essentially you don't want to be the person that doesn't have a clue. You want to have a general understanding of how technology will impact your company, your industry, your job. And if you do that, I think then you're ready for the future. Yeah, and, and the good news, I think, you know, I think, most HR professionals recognize that and want to be more data driven, more data informed and more digitally literate as well. And it, it, as you said, there's so much that we can learn uh, from outside our bubble. Uh, so I think that's good. That's, that's good advice. Mikhail, thanks very much for being a, a guest on the Digital HR Leaders podcast. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. Uh, can you let listeners know how they can stay in touch with you, find out more about TechWolf and, and follow you and TechWolf on social media? Yes, uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn uh, if you can uh, if you can spell my name or you can just go to techwolf.ai uh, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll get in touch. David, it was really great uh, to be here. I really enjoyed our conversation and uh, let's talk again soon. Likewise, Mikhail, and, and hopefully we'll get to see each other face-to-face again soon as well. Yeah, look forward to that. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. For more from us at Insight222, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and our weekly newsletter at myhrfuture.com. Next week on the podcast, we'll be speaking to Ralph Buxenschuss, Global Head of Org Design, People Analytics and Digitalization at Zurich Insurance. Until then, stay safe, stay well and take care.